Man, oh man, oh man, it was good to not preach for a little while. But man, it's good to be back here with you all and uh, feel refreshed and rejuvenated. It's great to see each and every one of you this morning and uh, just come before the Lord and to give our attention to His Word. Uh, this morning, we're continuing in our series in the book of Romans, uh, and uh, we're in a particular section that really is uh, quite a shift from the previous 11 chapters. If you've been with us for some time, you know that we plugged along in Romans 1 through 11 for uh, about a year and a half, uh, and so uh, this decisive shift has taken place in chapter 12, and so we find ourselves here concluding the book of Romans all the way up to really the the middle part of June, uh, and then we'll be done with Romans. Some of you are going to weep, and some of you are going to be like, yes, Pauline logic, no more. Give me a story. Uh, tell me a story. Uh, but no, it's been good. And uh, yeah, just as a way of reminder, I think it's important to remember the opening verses of this section really are uh, a call to respond, uh, a instruction to respond, that given all that God has done in, in, in Christ as revealed and taught and written in Romans 1 through 11, that now there's a, there's a decisive shift to call the Roman Christians to call us to a response. And that response is uh, really one where uh, it's based on the mercy of God, right? That this work of God in Christ is merciful. That this work of God is a, is a life-changing reality. Right? It's not just some theory that we agree with, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is a life-changing, life-transforming, eternity-altering change that takes place in our life and in our mind. Right? In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your appropriate, reasonable act of worship. Transforms our life, transforms our worship, and verse 2, transforms our mind. Right? Do not be conformed to this world. Recognizing right there this tension that exists for the Christian in this world. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. The gospel changes our mind. It changes our life. It changes our worship. We even see how over the last three or four weeks that it changes our relationships. How we relate to one another. How we relate to enemies. right? How we relate to God, for sure, but how we relate to other people. It's a life-changing, relationship-changing thing, this gospel. And now he comes to uh, another relationship that maybe on the surface seems to be a little bit out of place, especially as you see this conversation about love and in, in, in up to uh, verse, um, well, the end of chapter 12, and then verse 8 of 13, this reinforcing of Christian love. You see this Emphasis all of a sudden on how the Christian is to relate to governing authority. The government, right? How does 
the Christian relate to the government? Tough question. Relevant question for sure. Especially given the political climate, the, the rising tensions in our world, uh, the tension we feel, citizens of one kingdom living in the context of an earthly kingdom. What do we do in relationship to the governing authorities over us? Pew Research, I don't know if you know the Pew Research Group. They did, uh, they've been doing research for quite some time. Well, they were able to measure uh, trust in the federal government over the last 70 years. It's interesting that uh, when you look at the graph that during the uh, power or really the, the presidential terms of Eisenhower, Kennedy, and Johnson, that uh, confidence in, trust in the federal government always or almost all of the time was 65 to 75% of the American people back then. 65 to 75% trusted in the federal government always or almost all of the time during those presidential terms. And you look at the drastic change where we are now. We're in a day and age where the American people, same metrics, were asked the same questions, and that under the last two presidents, uh, Barack Obama and now Donald Trump, American confidence and trust in the federal government is down to 18%. 18%. Somewhere in those two presidents, 25 to 18%. So you ask this question, how does the Christian, really how does anyone, relate and posture itself toward uh, the federal government in a day and age where we simply do not trust the federal government? And we counsel couples all the time in a marriage that if, that if you lose trust... The roles and responsibilities in the context of a marriage can get very confusing and difficult if there's no trust. And so with the erosion of trust, we ask the question, what is, in general, the appropriate posture for the Christian in relationship to the federal government? What does it look like to be a Christian in America, really, in any government, under any government institution. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let's dive in. Verse 1. Let every person be subject to the government, governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, 
but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. This is God's word. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. What is the posture that we are called to in reference to the government authorities, regardless of our opinion of it, trustworthy or not? Paul is very clear right from the beginning. There's no backdoor entrance into this topic. It's right here staring at us in the face. Verse 1, let everyone or every person be subject to the governing authorities. Wow. Very direct, very simple. There's no one excluded from this. Let everyone, even the Christian, especially the Christian, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So if you're asking the question right here on the surface, you just want a simple answer, we are people who are defined by submission. That's what is meant uh, by let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Doug Moo says, to submit is to recognize one's subordinate place in the hierarchy. Already, cultural buttons are going off. Wait a minute. Subordinate? Hierarchy. I'm out. But let's follow the train of thought. To submit is to recognize one's subordinate place in a hierarchy. To acknowledge as a general rule, don't miss that, that certain people or institutions have authority over us. Ugh, authority? That's what it means to be subject. That is to live in submission to, right? The authority that is there. Really, what we see here is it may shock us, it may be countercultural, but submission is just simply Christian. To be a Christian is to be submitted. We're a submissive people. The gospel calls us to submission. It's a characteristic of who we are. When people look at us, they should say submissive. Recognizes authority, submits to it, honors it, lives in subjection to it, defers to it. That's the kind of people that we're called to be, right? Uh, uh, Christians and members of churches are called to submit to their leaders. It's Christian. Wives are called to submit to their husbands because it's Christian to be submissive, right? That slaves are to be submissive to masters. Now understand, in our context, that could be just simply interpreted and applied to just simply say, employees are called to be submissive to their employers. Somebody's like, oh, crap, I was going to yell at my boss this week. It's submissive to be Christian. It's taboo. It's countercultural. Nobody likes the word. Not today, anyway. But the bottom line is this. 
is that when you understand what Paul is doing here in instructing Christians in Rome how to live in the context of a Roman government, and for sure for us, instructing Christians who are living in the context of an American society and government authority, that those who, whom God saves are those who live in the submission of God's authority. It's a characteristic. It's a fruit that shows that we're saved. That the response to God's salvation is to submit to his authority. Especially authority that's manifested in earthly governing authorities. That seem, may seem like a shocking statement here, but, but really, we see that that's the very rationale that Paul gives, right? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Reason number one, that the gospel calls us to live in submission to governing authority is because we recognize God's authority that has provided it and given it. All authority in this world is derivative of an authority that inherently exists in God. All authority comes from Him. There's no authority except from God. We recognize this understanding even in Christ's interaction with Pilate. As he's heading to the cross. If you remember, Pilate asks him, do you have any idea who I am? Who it is that's asking you these questions? Don't you understand that I have authority to release you or to kill you? Do you remember that interaction? And what does Jesus say to him? Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all. Unless it was given to you from above. All authority comes from God. That's why we're called to submit. All authority comes from God. So if we resist authority, guess what? We're resisting God. If we submit ourselves to the authority that is over us, guess what we're doing? We're submitting to God. So we submit. We live in subjection to governing authority because all authority comes from God. Reason two, authority by God's design serves the good of those under it. And even as you hear that, man, in our world today, your mind's just going crazy. I get it. But follow the rationale of the biblical author and we'll deal with some of the implications of that. Authority by God's design, serves the good of those under it. He says, verse 3 and 4, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. See, by God's design, authority, hierarchy, is meant for our good. It's meant for our good. Now, we recognize that, that there is 
use of authority that leads to abuse. Improperly used authority can lead to abuse. This is not in any way, shape, or form arguing for abuse. It's saying that when the ruler properly understands his derivative authority, that all authority comes from God, and that for the purposes of how God has designed it, that authority is, is benevolent. We talked about that at the marriage retreat. Right? That in the context of a home, uh, the authority and leadership that a man has in the context of the home, guess what? It's meant for the good of those under his care. It's meant for the good of the wife. It's meant for the good of the family. That's what it's meant for. That's why God designed it that way, for the good of those under his care. But you understand, we're so preconditioned to think that authority is then to oppress and to, uh, and to, to abuse and to hurt because of the sinfulness of man. But understand that inherently authority is not the problem. People are. Men are. Authority is not the enemy. Sin is. And so in general, we understand that the purpose of hierarchy and authority is for our good, to avenge the wrongdoer, to promote what is good. Even in the context of Titus, where Paul is, is writing a letter to him and, and reminding them to, be, him, to, to teach them to be submissive to authorities. Why? So that we can devote ourselves to good works. So in this life, we're, 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 the authority exists for our good and so that our posture can be in this world to be a people that live in submission and do good works in the world. It's about the promotion of good. We understand that that's not, authority is not always used that way. But in general, authority is provided for our good. Absence of authority will actually be a very bad thing. Contrary to popular opinion, at least that is increasing. And I understand that we live in a day and age where people see authority as inherently bad for us. And this may be hard to swallow. But I would, I would throw out that it's not just merely based on abuse, right? Abuses are real and they should be condemned and confronted and despised. But I think what we're seeing today is more than just a response to abuse but an ideological shift in people's minds about authority, period. Because we live in a day and age where culture prizes individual expression and autonomy. We don't want anything to do with authority of any kind, period, end of story. We see authority itself, even authority from God or established by God, as wrong and bad. Am I overstating it? People despise authority. We see it now in the, the signs of the disintegration of the family unit. Right? That even the law is, is stripping parental rights away. Mostly seeing this starting in Canada and trickling down into our society. That parents are being told by doctors and by courts that they no longer have the right to have the information or the authority over their teenagers child uh, or uh, health decision, that that's none of their business. Disintegration of family, why? Disintegration of authority, why? Don't like it. Self-expression. Don't tell, no one has the right to tell anyone who they are or what medical treatment is appropriate for them. Self-expression, autonomy, independence, authority bad. 
we see here that that's not what the scriptures nor the gospel promote at all. Authority is meant to be for our good. Authority is good. Because God is good. God is good. And he rules and he reigns benevolently. And he does so by establishing hierarchy and order and governments in our world. That applies to us. Those have been put in place for our good. This should motivate us to do good works just as Paul has stressed in his writings. How do we do that? Well, he emphasizes one practical way, a major way that the Roman Christians were showing their submission in their day. Taxes. April 15th is coming. This is, you could say, boo. It's a very unsubmissive thing. But I'm scared. Okay, I'm just, every year I start shaking in my boots. Like, oh Lord, and you got all these tax changes. One of my buddies on Facebook put there, is anybody else in sticker shock about April 15th? And I'm like, oh brother, here it comes. Here it comes. How do we submit? Taxes. Verse 6, for because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Taxes are for our good. Are you kidding me? Supporting those structures is meant by God for our good. We live this out when we pay taxes. It's a submissive thing to sign that sucker and send it in the mail with the check attached. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I get 10 grand back every year. Well, good for you. Good for you. I'm proud of you. I have no issues with this at all. You can see. My heart is ready, willing, and able to submit to the taxes. Lord, do a work in my heart. Verse 5 summarizes, and I want to just cut to the chase. Therefore, one must be in subjection. How does a Christian relate to the government in general? One must be in subjection. Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So generally speaking, those who have been saved by God submit to God and the governing authorities. Simply put, save people submit to authority. I don't want you to miss that. Save people submit to authority. It's what we do. But the question can't be ignored. And it's not expressly here in the text because really that's not Paul's uh, uh, real intention here to get at, but what if Paul... This is in generally speaking. It's very important that we say uh, some additional comments, especially in the climate in which we live, so as to not avoid any, so as to avoid any confusion. Because this Romans 13:1, if I understand this correctly, Romans 13:1 was used by no one less than Adolf Hitler to argue for the submission of the church to his plan in Nazi Germany. So we must be very careful to not misunderstand what Paul is getting at here. So please bear with me as I try to unpackage this reality uh, and really ask this question. Does submission mean sin ever in any way, shape, or form? Do we submit to the authorities over us into sin? 
Let me be very clear. My take on what the scriptures teach is what I don't believe Paul is saying here. We need to be very careful about this. Let me cut to the chase. When God and the government collide, we obey God. Simple as that. When God and the government collide, we obey God. Because understand this, that it is God's authority that we are submitting to, ultimately. We're submitting to God. That's what this really is. Our submission to the government is an act of submission to God. And the the belief that when Jesus rose from the dead and he went to the disciples, that it was true. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Our act is an act of submission to God. But when God and government collide, listen, the tension that we feel is easily lost. No. We obey God. We obey God. So the simple answer is absolutely, positively, eternally, joyfully, no. We do not go into sin in our submission. Those whom God saves live in submission to God's authority. John Piper says the fact that God has ordained all authority does not mean all authority should be obeyed. It is right to resist what God has appointed in order to obey what God has commanded. Very important distinction, I think. So let us conclude these three things as we, in general, live in submission to the authorities over us. As we uh, pay taxes, as we drive between those lines when we go home for our good, as we obey the traffic lights and stop at stop signs, right? And when I go to the city as a landlord and I want a tenant and I got to fill out a certificate of adequacy, pay them $55, and they have to come inspect every GFI breaker in my house, and I just want to say, why are we doing this? Ah, for the good of the people that will live there. It's It's annoying, but it's for the good. It's for the good. As we're doing those things, let us be very clear that the government has has no authority from God to silence our witness. When they censor us, no. No. Peter, in the face of the Sanhedrin, in Acts chapter 4, what does he say? Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't silence our witness. We have orders from our king to spread the gospel throughout the world. The very least, when your boss says, no talking about Jesus at work, think about that. Think about it. No proselytizing. No religion. Think about that. You judge whether it's right or wrong. We cannot... Speak of what we have helped, but speak about what we've seen or heard. The government cannot silence our witness. Number two, the government has no authority to lead us into sin of any kind. Right? I was talking with Swain about it this week in the office. It reminded me of the scriptures in Exodus, uh, right? Chapter, Chapter one, where the midwives feared God. Right? They did not throw their sons into the river. Amen. Amen. That would be sin. 
And the government has no right to call us to any form of sin. So we resist the temptation to sin against our God. Finally, the government has no authority to force us into worshiping their idols. Do I have to mention Daniel? We're not doing it. We're going to worship the one true God. So when culture magnetically pulls you to worship their gods, you say, no thanks, no way. I'm going to worship the one true God. When society says it's illegal to pray, what, did, what do we do? Like Daniel, we go into our home and we open the shades for all to see. Personal worship. You can't stop it. I must worship God. I must pray. And in an act of doing that, it's not meant to be some rebellious resistance against government. It's simply our way to remain faithful to our God and accept the consequences in this life. Right? So at the water cooler, when somebody asks you about Jesus, and your boss said, mm-mm-mm, you got a decision to make. I think the gospel calls us to faithfulness no matter what the consequences may be in this life for that action. Think about it. You know, easy for you to say, you're paid to do that. Well, fair enough. Think about it. Consider it. But the day may come where it will be illegal to do what I do too. And if I go home and say, hey guys, that was fun. I'm going swimming and uh, just obeying the law. You guys just throw eggs at my house because I'd be unfaithful. Faithfulness, regardless of the consequences. So when God and government collide, we obey God. We accept the consequences that come, even if it means rejection, even if it means being censured, even if it means imprisonment, even if it means death. Jesus, submit. no one would stop him from obeying the Father. And he died. Jan Hus recant countless times. Can't. This is what I believe the gospel is, what the scriptures teach. Burned at the stake, at the hand of the state. Long line of martyrs who said, government and God collide, I obey. And I accept the consequences for my actions in this life. Because I know the consequences for my actions in the next. Amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in the Confessing Church in Germany, said, No way, Jose. 1935, the Confessing Church Synod said this, We see our nation threatened by mortal danger. The danger lies in a new religion. The church has been ordered by its master to see that Christ is honored by our nation in a manner befitting the judge of the world. The church knows that it will be called to account if the German nation turns its back on Christ without being forewarned. And we know what happened to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Assassinated. The hands of the Nazi German. Uh, German Nazis. And I love this quote. Martin Luther says, We're to be subject to governmental power and do what it bids, generally speaking. 
as long as it does not bind our conscience, but legislates only concerning outward matters. You want me to drive 35? Fine. Right? I'm in. No, that's the one I got to really pray about. You want me to fill out this certificate of adequacy for the good? Fine. I'll do that. 55 bucks. I'll do that. I'll do that. That's their domain. But if it invades the spiritual domain and constrains the conscience over which God only must preside and rule, we should not obey it at all, but rather lose our necks. Powerful, powerful language. Because right, we're submitting to God. We're submitting to God. I love the story that John MacArthur shared uh, as his, in his thoughts on this, where he talked about a conversation that he had with uh, someone who was a Christian that lived uh, under, uh, under the oppression of the Soviet Union. John MacArthur and his staff met with him and was just interviewing, trying to understand what it was like to be a Christian during that time. And uh, he, he said, you know, you couldn't get an education, couldn't really... Uh, pursue a career as a Christian. You had no voice in society. Shh, shh. And the question was asked, how do you respond to that kind of government? And he said this, we obey every law in our nation, whether it appears to us to be just or unjust, except when we are told that we cannot worship God or obey the scripture. But if we are persecuted, put into prison, or killed, it will be a result of our faith in Jesus Christ, not because we violated some law in our nation. Go to jail for your faith, not for some felony. Right? You're going to lock me up? Call me a criminal? Let it be because I refuse to disobey God and obey... Uh, uh, right? That's right. Yeah. Refuse to disobey His commands. So think a powerful way to distinguish and understand the dynamic that we face. Right? So in general, how do we as Christians relate to the government authorities? Submission. Submission. Right? Because those who have been saved by God live in submission to God's authority. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, Son and Spirit, as the triune God, you reign supreme. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. And out of his rule and reign, he was good to us. He came and he lived and he died and he saved. He gave himself up and showed us what perfect authority looks like, authority that gives and serves and lays down a life for the good of those under his care. We praise you for Jesus, our King. We thank you for the work that he accomplished on our behalf and how it changed our citizenship and brought us into the kingdom of God with such a hope of an eternal destiny, of living in that kingdom apart from sin 
apart from suffering and tears. You transferred us there, O oh God. You did that work. And so we praise you for him and that truth. And so we joyfully, freely, voluntarily, under the power and guidance of your Holy Spirit, together as your people submit ourselves to your authority, you are king. And our knees are bowed to you with the biggest smile and the warmest heart because it is a good reign and good authority that brings about good purposes in this world and in our lives. So may we go from this place with a renewed posture of humility and submission and a desire to be good citizens with a fierce commitment to obedience and the courage that when the world around us says worship our gods we say no when it says your faith is a crime we say so what And we remain faithful to you no matter what the cost in this life. Praise you for the great reward you give us in the next. And all God's people said,